I love that song, and I find myself many times singing it throughout the week. It just comes to mind. I was thinking as we turn to Colossians in just a minute, that, that last part of that song, when my, well, first of all, the first part of the last verse, it says, all the way my Savior leads me, oh, the fullness of his love. And then at the last, when my spirit clothed immortal, wings its flight to realms of day, this my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. That will be the eternal song. And we have seen that in the book of Revelation, the glory of the fact that we will worship there and we look forward to that. But we're going to see in the passage today that there is also an emphasis on the song that we should be singing now and the clothing that we should be wearing now. One day we'll be clothed perfectly in righteousness. And we are in the spiritual legal sense now. Don't misunderstand me. But one day those robes of white and righteousness that were promised in Revelation will wear. But Jesus has clothes for us to wear today. We are to specifically be clothed as God's chosen ones. And so let's not wait for eternity to experience this. But let's turn to Colossians chapter 3 and be reminded of what we should have on as God's children he has chosen us that um, that theology of God's gracious choice and election uh, of us is clear here and because we are the chosen ones we can put on these clothes uh, and we should these clo- this clothing should be a part of our lives not the old ways of the world no no those should be no longer a part of our wardrobe at all But these, this list, as we see, Paul starts in verse 12. And we have been halfway through this passage. We're going to do just a little bit of review and then uh, complete the passage, finish the passage today from 17. Let's go ahead and just read through verses 12 through 17 and we'll pray together. Colossians chapter 3. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now this is what we put on, that's what we are. This is what we put on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Father, this is quite a list. And as we still battle the remnant of the flesh, we know we're dead to the flesh, but we still battle sin in this life. And we get ornery and irritated and angry about so many things. We get frustrated when unexpected things come up. 
And when things that don't fit our own agenda come up. And Lord, help us to remember that when we struggle with those sins, that you will enable us to put on these things. That you can help us to bear with each other. To be patient. To have love. To let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And how, Lord, how we need that. What a great reminder today as we continue to see the just chaos of our world and it grieves us. We have the peace of Christ that must referee and rule in our hearts. So as we're reminded of these things today, let us put on, let us make sure, examine ourselves and make sure we're wearing the proper clothing of the king, of the citizens of the kingdom of the beloved son. It's no longer appropriate to wear the rags of the world. Lord, we need your help for this. And so we ask for this through Jesus, through the work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to be clothed as your chosen ones. And this we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, Paul has emphasized Christ's saving work throughout this letter. And because of what Christ has done, believers are no longer alienated and hostile to God. Folks, if there is one here, um, even as we begin this message this morning, that senses hostility and anger and frustration with God, um, that is that ought to be a big red flag, a warning sign to us. Are we truly one of God's own? Because we're not supposed to be hostile to God. We're not his enemy any longer, but we're now citizens of his kingdom, of the kingdom of Christ. And that is a glorious truth and one that is our great hope. We look forward to that, even as we've seen that it will come and described in the book of Revelation. But there are consequences and expectations of that reality now, folks. And that is that we should act that way now. And we should be dressed appropriately. We are dead to the earthly, sensual practices of the enemy's kingdom. We don't dwell in darkness any longer. It's not appropriate to be stumbling around this world as if we're in darkness when we truly are in light. So we must put off the former ways, right? And we put on the deeds that match who we are in Christ. He has provided all the victory we need to do this. There's no excuses. And we must seek this spiritual fruit in our lives. There's a weakness in all of us that we tend to become complacent with a certain level. Even in leadership, well, I made it this far, you know, the congregation has uh, approved that I'm to this level and I'm serving in this way. Now, I'm not saying specifically that our leadership is like this. I'm just saying that there's a tendency with all of us, a weakness, myself included, that gotten to a certain level and things are good until Jesus comes. No, folks, we should never be satisfied with where we're at spiritually, but always seeking to grow, to look like the ones that are a part of the kingdom that is coming. And we must not come become complacent. We must clothe ourselves in loving virtues, and that includes compassion and forgiveness. Again, these are verses that we've already gone through, but I want to read through 12 through 14 again, just as a reminder. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. Put on then as God's chosen ones. I've already uh, made mention of what that means. We are holy. We are separated. We're supposed to be unique, distinct as the church. And we are loved by God. That reality that He has chosen us makes it clear that He loves us. And we don't have to doubt that at all. 
So then, this is what we should be wearing. We should have compassion, folks, in the inner being. We should be willing to be kind to each other. We should be humble, not seeking after our own agendas and our own ways, but humble ourselves before Christ. We should make sure that our strengths are under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's what meekness means. And that just plain old patience. Sometimes these things that we know well, they're the hardest to do. And if we think we're patient, if we're priding ourselves on that, just wait for it. Sooner or later, God will allow something into our lives that will test it again. And he will show us how much more we need, how our patience levels are really lower than many times what we think they are. And then a test of our patience is how well we're able to bear with one another. And that's the people in the church. Well, that shouldn't be hard, right? We're, we're the chosen ones. We're saints. We're citizens of the beloved kingdom. And we yet we know in the reality of day to day with the sins that we still struggle, it's hard to get along with other believers. Shouldn't be, but it is. And if we struggle with that and the world sees us fighting and hostility with each other, then what kind of testimony does that give to a world that desperately needs to see a testimony of unity and peace? Bearing with one another. And what that means practically then is if, if one of us has a complaint, an offense against another, that we don't just hang on to it. I'm never going to forget what that person did to me. And we'll move on. But I'll never forget. You know, there's a, a, a motto in one sense is a, is a good thing, especially in times of war and things. You, you, I remember World War II, right? There was a motto, never forget, and there was the posters of Hitler and Nazis and things. And I understand that. But that's an awful motto when it comes to believers who are offended by other sin. I'll never forget. No, that's not what Paul says here. <laughs> that's not what Jesus Christ expects. But we must forget. Well, what does this mean? Well, Pastor Brock, I can't in my mind forget everything that I'm offended by by other people. It's too hard. Well, he's not actually causing, calling you to erase it from your memory. That's not possible. But what it means is you weigh that offense. And then he says, as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. You weigh that offense with what Jesus Christ bore on your behalf because of your sin. And you say, you know... I, I, I give up the right to be offended by this. I'm going to let it go. Or if it is something grievous enough that does need to be dealt with, that we go to the person and say, I'm concerned about this. This is an offense and this is something in your life. You did this to me. And there may be times where that offense breaks into even getting the leadership involved. Or if the sin is grievous enough, the authorities. But in your heart, you're ready to forgive. Now, I really think Paul, in um, application here, is talking about those minor offenses that we shouldn't hang on to. Uh, we all have people that irritate us. And the, the other side of that, as I've told you before, is we all have people that we irritate. Yes, there's all people, there's all kinds of people and personalities in this very room. And I know even with me that uh, my personality is... As much as I'm praying the Lord helps and continues to refine me, that things I do irritate you folks, or some of you more than others. My wife gets to have lessons in patience every day. <laughs> and uh, she gets to put these things into practice. 
But folks, isn't it true that when we remember how much Jesus sacrificed for us, it really should be relatively easy to give those things up that we're bothered by, right? And so verse 14, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Oh, I have the love of Christ, and this is the love of God, that self-sacrificing love that sees others' needs over our own. And one may say, oh, I have that love of Christ, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. Well, there is a test. Are you compassionate? Are you kind? Go through that list. Do you see those things in your life? Then you truly can say you've passed the test that God's love is doing a major work in your life. If you look at this list and you don't see these things in your life, you need to question, well, am I really letting God's love do its work in me? Am I really recognizing that all that He gives me is by grace? I didn't deserve any of it. I didn't deserve the sacrifice of Christ, and yet He showed His love to me, and therefore I need to be willing to do, let Him do His work and have these sorts of responses in my life towards others. And then that brings together perfect harmony. When you have a church, it's operating that way. And there's no more glorious song of the church than those that are binding together in the love of Christ that are showing love to each other, that are being patient with each other, that are putting up with each other, that are being kind, that, folks, is a beautiful song. And throughout this passage, Paul has um, the, the, the terminology of music on his heart. And that will continue in a little bit. Well, we're finally then to uh, verse 15 here, and that's where we'll continue. Verse 15 we need to put on God's love above all else. But there is a blessing that we are given in verse 15 that needs to, needs to exemplify in, in every area of our lives. And that is, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called. This is one of your callings as a church. God has expectations for us as the church body. And one of those that he has called us to is letting this peace rule in our hearts. And certainly in our union with Christ, we have this gift that we are given. Peace of mind and soul. The full peace of Christ that brings spiritual well-being. And that spiritual well-being then filters into our physical well-being as we're not um, prone to anxiety and these things because as the peace of Christ works, it, it calms us, it gives us more confidence, and it really does affect then our physical life many times. And, and so that is a gift that Christ has given to us. But it's interesting here, in this, in this verse, this is a command for us to do something, for let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Well, how do we do that? Well, it's focusing, Paul's focusing on actually the action of peacemaking that must rule over us. That word is very um, specific. It refers, it really has the idea of a referee or an umpire in a sports game that directs and presides over an athletic event. And so if we are letting the peace of Christ rule in us as a church family, then there will not be strife. 
There will not be anger. There will not be frustration that is leveled at the leadership or each other. But no, we're letting the peace of Christ that's in us, that's a gift in our hearts, referee and direct what we're doing. Paul says we must do that. And if we're willing to do that, it's a sign that the Holy Spirit is actively working in our lives and we're submitted to him. So the more we get along in the true biblical sense, the more it is a, uh, an evidence of the Holy Spirit's work among us. Because there aren't a whole lot of people getting along out there in the world today, folks. And as the church, we certainly need to be a proper representation of the peace of Christ refereeing. Well, this course reminded me of multiple illustrations. When I was in high school, played basketball for, for six years. and You know, I was a bench player, but when I did get to play, it was exciting. Um, it made it all the more special. Um, but we, we, had, we, we were a small Christian school, so we had a fan base that was very dedicated and they had to be, because there are many times, you know, as a smaller Christian school, we, uh, for the first couple of years that I was on the team especially, we were a little disappointing, and eventually we got better, and we made it to finals numerous times by my senior year. But So our, our, our parents and our fan base and our families were small, but they were dedicated. But there was a problem. Sometimes they were a little too enthusiastic. And we had one parent in particular that always a little nervous, Whenever the rough ref made a call in the game that maybe some of us, even the coach, um, wasn't happy with, you could almost wait for it. This individual in particular would wait until it got quiet. And then when it was nice and quiet, this particular person would yell and tell the ref exactly what he thought about that call. And there was a few times where he got uh, a penalty for the whole team because that parent was not willing to submit himself to the call of the referee. Well, we appreciated the enthusiasm, but the, the wrong outworking of that was actually quite embarrassing. And we're a Christian school, right? Well, folks, it's just as embarrassing for the church when we're caught arguing against the ref and arguing with each other and strife and anger. That ought to embarrass us. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule. Let it direct everything. And then he says, and, and remember as well, be thankful. And he's going to continue to say that quite a bit. I think what Paul's doing here is realizing that uh, as we get frustrated with situations and people and things aren't going our way and we're struggling with these things, it's really hard for us to be thankful. It's easy to be thankful when things go the way we want them to. Praise the Lord! Let's have, let's have a praise in the, in the prayer service or on Sunday evenings or announce it on Wednesday nights and celebrate with us. But when God throws a monkey wrench or something into our plans that we had not expected and we get frustrated, it's harder to be thankful, isn't it? Let's just be honest. And Paul is going to remind us, not for the last time here in this passage, whatever we're facing, to remember. And I think you go back to that phrase, as the Lord has forgiven you, remember all that Christ has done for you. And then whatever comes up in our personal lives, in the life of our church, we can still be thankful. 
because we know God's in sovereign control and he allows all things for a purpose. And so we may not have a joyful, happy smile on our face all the time, but we can say, Lord, I know that your purposes, I know, I don't believe in fate. I reject the whole idea of fate. I know that everything that you allow into my life is for a purpose, and therefore I can be thankful even for the hard things. Paul says, be thankful. And then another aspect of this is we must fill ourselves with the knowledge of Christ and putting on these clothes, put on God's love above all else. But also, we need to be filled, enriched with a knowledge of Christ and the truth of Christ ought to dwell richly in us. And is it another glorious blessing that because of the saving relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, we can open our Bibles. You can look at your Bibles right now and understand the truth about Him from God's Word. The Holy Spirit can work. That's a blessing. The world out there looks at the Bible and maybe you know puts up Psalm 23 or some other aspects of Scripture they think sounds beautiful and poetic, but they have no idea what it really means. And we do because of our relationship with Christ. But another thing we must never be content with is a superficial knowledge of this truth. I've learned all that I need to. You know, I've memorized my verses as a child or as an adult or whatever, and I've got this certain level. And, you know, when pastor preaches on certain topics, I already know all that. I don't need to hear it again. No, um, what Paul's calling us to is for the truth of Christ, of what He has done, of the Gospel. Really, you could in essence say all of God's Word is the truth of Christ. That it is richly ingrained in us. It's just simply this. That Christ, the Word of God, the truth of Christ, has permeated so deeply our minds that it transforms our words in our actions. And we'll see that in verse 17. But that we're so deeply impermeated with the Word in our mind and our hearts, our inner man, that it can't help but come out and show itself. And it will. By those very practical things again, of being patient and being kind and being long-suffering and all those things. You, you get it. That's what it means to dwell in us richly. And so we need, we need to uh, take in the Word of Christ and um, desire it every day. There ought to be an intense desire, folks, to learn more of Jesus. And if we don't have that, it's a gauge in our walk with Christ. Well, now Paul is going to give us one aspect that is a gauge of whether the Word of Christ is dwelling within us in this way or not, deeply, transformatively. And that is that we're willing to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And then he's going to give, and sometimes we can miss this application in this verse, because sometimes the way the grammar or the translation goes, but I really believe that this is the real emphasis here, or let's say the primary emphasis. Paul is going to give us now a specific way that we should teach and admonish each other in all wisdom. Now remember what wisdom is. It is, the, it is God's gift of enabling us to uh, understand the practical outwork of knowledge of His truth. 
In other words, because God's truth, the truth of Christ, let's use the language here, is dwelling richly in me, I know how to act in every situation. That is wisdom. That is understanding. And we need to teach each other in, in God's Word and admonish one another in this way. It's discipleship. We've talked a lot about discipleship in the past, haven't we? Here's another picture. And one specific way, folks, that we can disciple one another is by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, there are a lot of reasons to sing energetically in the service. I think you would agree with me, though, the major reason is to proclaim the truths of Christ. And also as well, uh, we, we, uh, as God gives us ability and uh, guidance, we want to frame that truth in a proper, pure uh, vehicle of music, certainly. Um, we're going to see here that last word, that last phrase, spiritual songs are songs that are directed and guided and submitted to the expectations of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's a high expectation. And we need to have that in our lives. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself here. One of the major purposes as we sing songs that maybe we don't think about is to remind each other of the truths of what we're singing. You were singing this morning, He lives to remind the person next to you or the person in front of you that Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead. And you say, well, Pastor Brock, my the vehicle that God has given me to sing isn't that encouraging. It may come across more admonishing or cruel than it is teaching and positive. Well, you let God handle that. Uh, we, are, we are to sing for the purpose of reminding of each other of the truths of Christ. That is the purpose. And, and to effectively apply these men. There's, there's so many different types of songs. And that's why we're given categories here. But there are songs um, that directly address um, Scripture and even include the actual words of Scripture. There are songs that address what we do with Scripture and how we apply it. There are songs of testimony. Um, and there's a wonderful variety of songs that Kurt and that Rob and even myself have the opportunity to lead you in every week that remind us of these things. Well, let's get in a little more detail here. The Psalms, uh, from my study... Three types of songs are listed here. I don't think this is necessarily supposed to be an exhaustive list. I'll have to ask Kurt that afterwards. But psalms here refer to the biblical songs, the texts of Scripture. Um, you, you know, right, that the word psalm in Hebrew it refers to songs. And those were songs that were written by David and many others for the purposes of the people to sing them. To sing God's truth. Because truth many times, and we understand this, um, ingrains and fixes itself into our minds when it's put to music. I remember Kurt saying this many times. Um, and there's a purpose for that. So that we can remember Scripture through singing it. And those are the Psalms. And we have a lot of those in the Bible that we can sing. Hymns. From what I can tell here would be praise and worship texts directed to God. And as you note, the, the, there's, there's a lot of variety of songs that we sing, but the ones that we would classify as hymns in our hymnal 
really have a focus on directing our hearts toward the truths of who God is. In context here, though, I really think Paul's saying hymns that direct us to the truth of who Christ is in worshiping and praising Him because of the emphasis of Christ. Then spiritual songs, that word for songs is a much more general term that can encompass a variety of music. And so if there weren't the directing, controlling word in front of it, we might think, oh, you know, that's just whatever we want then. But that's not the case. Because Paul says spiritual songs. So songs that are submitted and directed by the Holy Spirit. And as we sing in the music that we sing, that we're convinced that the Holy Spirit approves and is directing us in these songs. And isn't it wonderful then that as we really, in in, in the area of music, what we do is we submit ourselves to the work of the Spirit. And uh, the Holy Spirit guides us as people and as a church family on what what songs are best to sing and what are most appropriate for worship. So thankful that Jesus gives us that guide in this. And that we have men and leaders here that are sensitive to the Spirit's leading and are willing to lead us in that way. And what a blessing that is. But then, not only just the teaching and admonishing each other, but also as you sing, it ought to be... Did you, did you get this emphasis yet? With thankfulness in your hearts to God. Folks, if we're singing the praises of our Savior and there's no gratitude in our hearts, that's spoiled singing. That's corrupt. Singing the praises of our Savior ought to make us erupt with joy. And there's plenty of messages of thanksgiving in these songs that we sing. They're all throughout there. Be my song through endless ages. Jesus doeth all things well. We just sing that. That is, a, that is a thankfulness that the work that Jesus does is a good work and we are expressing our gratitude. And if you're having trouble in your day being thankful for what God's doing in your life, you know what a great remedy is? Is to sing a hymn or a psalm or a spiritual psalm to remind your heart of where your thoughts ought to be. That's a wonderful vehicle God has given us, and that will. It's hard to not be thankful when you're singing of the wonders of what Christ and what our Heavenly Father has done for us. It will. Music is meant to lift our spirits in that way. Be thankful, not just outwardly, but in your inner man, in your being. Let the truth of Christ dwell richly. And then this wonderful last verse, let His worship, the worship of Christ, affect every aspect of our lives. And now Paul applies very practically everything that he has presented in the first part of the book concerning the superiority and preeminence of Christ. Do you remember all that? How Christ is the firstborn of creation, that means not that he was created, but that he was the creator, that he is eminent and superior of all all creation, Um, that he has sacrificed himself for our sins, and that wonderful long list that Paul gave us at the beginning of this book to remind us that Jesus is superior um, and 
above all else. And because of that truth, now Paul says, let's make that truth really practical in each of our lives. So let's just apply it to every aspect of our lives. Since he is deserving, would you not agree, of our consideration and submission, we ought to do that in every aspect of our life. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Because He's worthy. Because He's superior. He's preeminent above all. I don't think any of us would argue with that. But do we live? Do we submit? Do we give, Lord Jesus, give consideration to my steps in all of these things? And whatever you do really does mean whatever. (laughs) There's nothing uh, that falls outside of that description. Paul makes it very clear here. Everything we do, make sure you're submitted and you've given consideration to Christ. And what you say and in the actions that come from it and what's going on in the inner heart uh, we we could we know this verse well we could quote it like that but do we examine our hearts on a daily basis to make sure that we're submitted to that and this is one of those verses that you can never probably you can never reflect on too little Because every day there are things that we are prone to do in our own way or things that are just habits of ours that we realize upon further reflection. We've not given Christ consideration in these things. Happens to me. I know it happens. I'm sure it happens to you as well. So Paul says here, because Jesus is preeminent, he deserves the worship of our lives in submission to Him. And then one more time in this passage, again, in case you hadn't been listening, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. For the third time, we're reminded of our need to give gratitude and thanks to God for all that He has done and will do for us. I think Paul understands that we all struggle with being thankful at times. That's why he repeated this three times. Whatever we're facing, folks, whatever you're facing today, whatever you're facing this week, whatever our church is facing, are you willing to say, um, Jesus doeth all things well, even though I don't understand them, even though they frustrate me? And am I willing then in all things to give thanks to God the Father through Christ? Because it's through Christ that we pray to God. He is our mediator. We don't need a priest. You don't need a pastor to pray for you. You can pray directly to God and give Him thanks through what Jesus Christ has done. It's been, I think, almost 15 months since the Lord took my father to be home. And you all were here. You know a lot of the events around that. You know, the Lord prepared us in a lot of ways, but still... When my youngest brother Eric called me and said that uh, Dad just passed away, that he had just died, there was still a part of me that thought, Oh, Lord, I was hoping for just one more time. I was hoping to be able to get through Christmas and then maybe to take a trip as a family and go down to see him, you know, one more time and just to talk with him and maybe to be there as he died. 
and it kind of bothered me that I wasn't there. My youngest brother, Eric, was the only one at the time that, that was there, and, and he called my mom in, and, you know, they, they thought through and contemplated what had just happened. But then as I did go down for the funeral, the Lord reminded me of some things. It was a tendon, there was a temptation there to be a little ungrateful and unthankful for what I wanted and how I wanted things to turn out. And the Lord reminded me that just a couple weeks before that, I think it was three, that He had allowed us, he, we thought my dad was going to pass away, and He revived miraculously. And my brothers, uh, my my brother Eric took him home to his house, and we were all able to go over there for Thanksgiving. And he was able to pray. I still have the video where he prayed for the food. And we got a chance that Sunday evening to, as a family, to sing praises, to encourage and admonish each other in songs and hymns and spiritual songs together with my dad. And then my dad had a very personal message for me to give to me the day that I left. And all of these things came back. And it was kind of like the Lord reminding, see, you need to be thankful. I gave you better than you expected, and it was true. And I thought back on that, I thought that was the way for it to happen. To remember my dad's final words to me. And it caused me to be thankful in the midst of a very hard thing. Well, folks, I don't know what you're going to face today or this week that's going to be hard. But I do know that we can live in this way because Christ has already done the work and that we can be thankful regardless of what we face, even if we don't like it. He can give us the strength and the gratitude to continue to serve Him faithfully. Christ has supplied us everything we need to serve Him, right? And to worship Him. And as the saints in eternity, we will be clothed in righteousness. But here's the point as we finish. We need to begin the wardrobe change now as we put off the old world clothes and dress in the attributes that Paul mentioned here. We're God's chosen ones. He's provided us the change of clothes we need to serve Christ effectively. So let's make sure we're dressed appropriately in these wonderful virtues. Father, Thank you that Jesus doeth all things well. He's done everything that we need for new life with you, for holy living, um, all of these things. And that you provide us and enable us to live in these ways. It's not our own strength. But you can help us to be clothed in patience and long-suffering and kindness and thankfulness. We need this reminder to be thankful today. Lord, obviously, Paul mentioned it three times. So let us be clothed in these things. Let us trust You that You will enable these things to happen through the work that has been done through Christ. And let us be proper testimonies of the children of the beloved kingdom, uh, the kingdom of the beloved Son, proper testimonies of Jesus Christ and be clothed as your chosen ones. We need your help and we ask for that. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.